Acts chapter 12, verses 1 to 24. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak round you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Then Herod went from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. He had been quarreling with the people of Tyre and Sidon. They now joined together and sought an audience with him. After securing the support of Blastus, a trusted personal servant of the king, they asked for, for peace because they depended on the king's country for their food supply. On the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. But the word of God continued 
to spread and flourish. So we're thinking about a a gospel full of miracles today. Uh, Miracles is uh, one of those topics that is hotly debated among Christians. In fact, they're hotly debated in our our world today, of course. Um, When something happens that is unexplainable to ordinary human thinking or scientific method or even medical science, people today talk in terms of miracles. Now, of course, the word like any other can be used in all sorts of different ways, can't it? It was a miracle that I found a parking space today. You heard that said before? Uh, It was a miracle I got the last toilet roll in the supermarket. Oh, I was the last in line before the fuel station shut. Uh, Who knows what it might be? It was a miracle Leicester City won the Premier League a few years ago. You know, the words are used in all sorts of different ways, aren't they? And maybe God had something to do with those things or not. Who knows? I kind of wonder about the person who's next in line for the toilet rolls or the fuel, what they must have thought about it. They probably thought it was Murphy's Law um, that had taken place. But truth be told unexplainable things do happen, don't they? They do. Uh, At my last church, we had a a lady who had been diagnosed with a recurrence of cancer uh, that had spread. And uh, if I remember rightly, she'd only been given uh, a number of weeks to live, even with chemotherapy. Uh, The church rallied round. They prayed for her. Um, Three years later, She was still with us, amazingly. I'd call that a miracle. Um, And, you know, she used that three years. Um, 30-plus rounds of chemo later, she was the most positive person you could know. And she was a Christian. Only for a few years, she had come to faith in Christ. But to talk to her, she would simply say things like, well, I know where I'm going. God's with me. I've got my faith. And she would talk about Jesus with those who visited her. She would just talk about him. When she finally passed away, she had already written her own eulogy. She had written it already for the service. And I tell you, at a Thanksgiving service, it was one of the most powerful and personal things we could have done to just have read her words to us, to her friends, to her family that were sitting there, many of whom weren't believers. They didn't believe in Jesus. It was the most powerful thing to be able to do that. For three extra years, for a visible purpose, God provided a miracle, and it was amazing. Or or how about this, the way that God works? Uh, A gentleman and his wife who joined the church shortly before another diagnosis, and uh, he was quite open about the fact that he was sympathetic to Christianity, would come to church to support his wife, but was not a believer. He hadn't got to that place, and he had loads of questions. And, And he also received a diagnosis. This time it was no three years miracle, less than a year, But God, as they say, the old song goes, moves in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. In the eight months or so, God graciously led him on a spiritual journey to receive Jesus as his Savior and Lord. We did what we could 
you know, we, we, we prayed. Myself and one of the members, we did Christianity Explore with him. He, he prayed a prayer, but he still wasn't completely sure. He wasn't completely sure and was open about that with us. But it came to the Easter Sunday of that year. And uh, we had an Easter family service that was pretty much aimed more at kids more than anything else. But he came up to me afterwards with tears in his eyes and said, can I give you a hug? And I said to him, well, has something happened for you? What's taking place? And he said, I don't, I don't really know what's gone on. I just feel quite emotional. And I, I don't know what's happened. It was a service for kids. I was thinking, well, what, 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 what's gone on here? Anyway, I went on sabbatical just before he went into hospital. I went to see him a couple of days before I, I left and, uh, and had a chat with him, uh, explained the gospel again to him. I prayed for him, and then he prayed for me, which surprised me. And we left saying, well, hopefully we will see one another again, because nothing was sure. When I came back, he was still with us in the hospice, and I got to see him a week before he passed away. And I, and I was determined to just share the gospel with him one last time. But he got there before me. His wife said, now, um, let's call him Stephen. Stephen, there's something you want to ask Chris, isn't there? And he said, yes, but before I do, can I just share something with you? You, you know I had a lot of questions. You know I've been trying to work all of this out. I'm paraphrasing. When that Easter service came around and I came up to you in tears, the reason it was I worked out was because for the first time, I realized that Jesus hadn't just died for the world in general, you know, just for the world and people out there somewhere. He died for me. And that's why I was emotional. And there's a question I want to ask you, and the only question I've got, I've got lots of others I could, but at this point, all I want to ask you is, is there anything else I need to do? And it was the greatest joy to be able to look him in the eye and say, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and you've got faith that he has saved you, then no, there is nothing more you need to do. And he lay back on the propped up hospital bed. And I remember the words he said to me. He just said, well, that's okay then. I'm okay with that. A week later, he was gone. But you know what? I'll see him again. God is a God of miracles. Sometimes that we don't understand... Sometimes we don't even know why he does some things in one way and doesn't do things in another. Why, why do some healings happen and some healings don't? Why do things happen in the way that they do? We can't answer those questions, but I tell you what, I've seen enough to know and believe that we have a God of miracles who does the unexplainable, whose timing is perfect to accomplish everything that he wants to accomplish, even if we don't always understand it. Do we believe that? I hope we do.
Because that's exactly what this story is all about. Now, God is not at our beck and call, okay? That's not the way it works. Faith means trusting God even when we don't get what we would like. I said it before, he's not some vending machine in the sky who just, you plug a few buttons of faith in there and he gives you whatever you like and it comes out the bottom for you. Um, It doesn't work that way. In fact, that's clearly seen in our encounter today. Bad things happen to good Christians. It's the book of Job as we had it uh, a while back all over again. But none of it precludes the fact that God does work miracles, even today and for the sake of his gospel. Take our passage today. Let's get into it. First of all, we see the problem. There is a problem, and it's the problem of persecution. Now, the events of this chapter are incredible, okay? They are amazing. They are about the miraculous. But here again, we're reminded at the very start that being a Christian does not mean it's all going to be plain sailing. It's a very real chapter for us to get to grips with. Faith does not equal health, wealth, and prosperity. I will keep saying that. It's not a magic aura that keeps us from all harm. In fact, having faith in Jesus, this passage tells us, sometimes, for some people, leads straight to death. That's the cost that some pay for faith in Jesus. Verse 1 says, It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them, and he had James, the brother of John, put to death and the sword, with the sword. Opening of the chapter, okay, a tragedy takes place. James loses his life at the hand of King Herod. One of the leading lights of the church is snuffed out. James, the brother of John, imprisoned, beheaded, all because Herod wants to keep up brownie points with the Jews. That's what he wants. That's what it says. And it's then the reason, when he sees that it's pleasing to the Jewish people at the time, he wants to arrest Peter because he wants to do the same with him. He's a tyrant, Herod. Uh, This is Herod Agrippa, okay, and just to give you a bit about his background, this is the grandson of Herod the Great, okay, the Herod Herod who gives us the uh, not-so-nicey-nicey part of the Christmas story, okay, he's that Herod of that time, Um, wants to know where the king of the Jews is to be born, consults with the Magi, finds out it's Bethlehem, gets outwitted by God, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus escape to Egypt, and what does he do? He goes on a rampage to kill all the baby boys in the vicinity. You remember that not nicey-nicey part of the Christmas story? That's this guy's grandfather, okay? That's his grandfather, and Herod Agrippa is just as bad as him puts the Apostle James to death, imprisons Peter. It's really important for us, okay, when we're talking about faith, that if our faith is only based on when we see a miracle, if it's only based on that, or is only real for us when good things are happening, then we've got the wrong idea of faith. Faith is carrying on whatever may happen. It's trusting God whether there's a miracle or not, 
for whatever his purpose may be. This chapter tells us it's not all plain sailing, even as we believe in a God who does miracles to save his people. Which is what the rest of the chapter is all about. Miracle number one, it's no accident. Herod arrests Peter during the festival of unleavened bread. It's Passover, the Jewish feast of Passover. And by Jewish law, for starters, you you can't try people or sentence people when Passover is happening. He arrests them at a point where he can't do anything about it, technically. And so Peter is put in a jail cell, in a prison cell, first of all. He's not tried and put to death immediately. It's a grace of God. And if, in fact, you want prisons, this prison was like today's maximum security prisons, okay? He was taking no chances about any of this, any of this at all. I don't know whether he was worried about Peter escaping or, or maybe he was worried that they would try and rescue him. Perhaps he was even worried that there was going to be some kind of miracle of God. We don't know the reasons why he did all of this, but he really upped the ante with Peter. Usually, you'd only be chained to one soldier, okay? Herod doubles up. I'm chaining him to two, okay? And I'm going to put two guards at the door. That's his technique for keeping Peter Peter in his place. Three lots of guards in rotation across the night as well. None of this getting tired, malarkey, you know. (laughs) None of this, what they thought happened with Jesus, you know, with the guards. None of this happening. I'm taking no chances, okay? Three, Three lots of guards on rotation. This guy is not getting out. Herod sits back in his palatial residence, smiling to himself, savoring the thought of what's going to happen with this show trial he's going to put on in front of the masses to make himself look so good. It's a good day, he thinks. Peter sits between two guards in a prison cell. But the gospel and our God is a God of miracles. And you know, whether a miracle is, because it's not just one thing, okay? Whether a miracle is someone putting their faith in Jesus, that is a miracle. It's a grace of God that he would enable us to do that to put our faith in him, whether it is being miraculously healed, whether it's given extra time, or even just, I think it's a miracle, okay, that people would persevere in the trial. Sometimes they are the most inspiring people who are going through awful circumstances, and they're keeping the faith. They're carrying on going, and you look at them and say, they trust God in this. You can see it in what they say and what they do. I would say that's a miracle. But our God does not shy away from performing a miracle when the salvation of his people is at stake. He did it then. He'll do it today. And you know what? We're part of it. We're part of this dynamic that goes on. What do we read in verse 5? Well, we read, so Peter was kept in prison... 
But what was the church doing as all this was taking place? But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. They had done exactly the right thing, okay? Their right response to Peter's peril was to go to their knees in prayer. I mean, where do you go when the going gets tough? Is prayer your first port of call or is it your last resort? For the church, it was their first port of call. I mean, they couldn't do anything, could they? Stage a rescue? Well, highly unlikely. Guarded to the hilt. I mean, when Peter knocks on the door later, having brazenly walked through the prison doors, they tell Rhoda, the servant girl, that it can't be Peter, it must be an angel. They didn't even expect him to be freed from prison. But they were praying about it. They aren't praying expecting a miracle, they're simply praying for Peter. And here's the point about faith, because if anything, their faith was low. If anything, it was. They're not trying to whip up their faith to see a miracle happen. They're not measuring their faith and how they feel about the circumstances, wondering if they've got enough faith for God to to work, because that's not the way it works, and that's not the way that God works. If you believe God can do a miracle and can pray that he would, you may just find he does. You may just find he does. Where you get those stories in, in, in the Gospels of Jesus, you know, where he tells people after a miracle has taken place, like a, a healing, your faith has made you well. Some will be familiar with that phrase. He says that at multiple points in the Gospels of people who have been healed. The man born blind, the woman who touches the edge of his garment and is healed, the ten lepers. When he says those words, he doesn't mean you had enough faith, so I healed you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying to the people is, you understood who I am, Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, and it's for that reason that you've been healed. Not a guarantee, not a a faith token to pop in a, a prayer box and a healing happens. God always has his reasons, miracle or not, and that's where faith comes from. But faith says, faith says, we know who our Savior is, we know what he is capable of, and we entrust it to him with the outcome. That's what it says. He will always do what he has purposed to do. He is a God who saves. And that's what I mean by gospel miracles. That's what I mean by it. Not guarantees, but you notice that in pretty much every circumstance in Acts where a miracle does happen, the word of God grows or people come to faith in Jesus because they see something incredible happen and they go, this, there must be something more here. There must be a great God who does something incredible. There must be someone out there who's in control of all things. There's got to be something more to this because I've seen this miracle happen. And the word of God grows. People come to faith. That's what the miracles do. They're not insular things. They're not just for churches to enjoy in their own little groups among their own number. They point back to who Jesus is and why he came. And why did he come? 
Jesus came to save, didn't he? He came to save. Do you know, people prayed for the, for the lady I mentioned earlier on that, that, that God would heal. Ultimately, he gave her three extra years and she witnessed for him and used that time. Uh, that gentleman that I mentioned, that Jesus would, we were praying that he would open this, this chap's eyes to God's love for him and the salvation, that salvation would spring up. We didn't know whether it would happen. The week before he passed away, he confirmed where his trust lay, that Jesus was his savior and his faith was in, was in him. We just prayed, God just worked. In Acts 12, the Christians are praying, just praying, earnestly praying, praying that God would do something, and God works. Remember, they've just lost James. They've just lost this leading light of the church. They think Peter is next. They think he's next. They would be worried, perhaps even confused, fearful about what would happen as these, these leading lights, these leaders of the church, get taken from them by force. But as they pray, what God does so, so utterly confounds them that we read in verse 16 that they were all, and the word is astonished, they were astonished to see Peter alive and free again, knocking at the door. Knocking at the door. You know that verse that I sometimes read at the end of our services here, here at the church? To him who is able to do immeasurably more, all that we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. That's Ephesians 3 verse 20. I don't just read that out because it's a positive way to end our services. I read it out because it's true. And it's true for us. Our God can do immeasurably more than all we ask or can even imagine. And sometimes, just sometimes, he astonishes us with, with the result. Verse 6, the night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains. And sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, and how much more miraculous can you get, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and said, wake up, hit him, literally, hit him. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. He follows the angel past armed guards through locked doors. And when they get to the outer wall of the prison, the gate on the street just opens wide in front of them and lets them out. And they walk free. It's a miracle. Simply a miracle. Uh, there was an archbishop, Archbishop William Temple, who was archbishop in England in the 1940s, okay? Uh, a period of time when we could say miracles were very much needed, right? And he famously said, when I pray, coincidences happen, and when I don't, they don't. When we pray, coincidences happen, 
And when we don't, they don't. Funny that, isn't it? We should never underestimate the power of prayer. You know, perhaps when we pray at home, when we pray with friends, when we pray on a Monday at, the, at, our, at our prayer meeting on Monday morning, when we, when we pray, coincidences happen, and when we don't, they don't. Because God's purpose is to save. And his plan for Peter was not over yet. It's a gospel full of miracles. And, you know, I will just say to us here, we need to pray. We have to be a prayerful people. We need to pray. Maybe we, like the believers who met to pray, need to raise our expectations of what God might do. An expectation raising in this place. You know, if you're feeling tired or you're lacking confidence, pray. Pray. If you feel that you've done all that you can to try and convince someone that Jesus is the way and they continue to resist, pray. Who knows what he might do? Who knows? You know, if you're sitting around thinking, uh, but we're small in number, what can we do? If you're feeling a bit like what Brian was explaining to us earlier on, thinking, what can I do? Pray. Because we all need prayer. Or maybe you're holding back because you're fearful of taking a step forwards with God. Perhaps you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, uh, even this week, there's a mountain that's too great for me to climb. I don't know how to climb it, and I don't know what to do. I don't know what that might be, okay? But it just seems too overwhelming or scary to even begin to untake. Share my faith with friends. Gosh, that all just sounds a bit <laughs> intimidating to me. Um, serve in a ministry at church. Well, gosh, um, I don't know what to do with that. I, can't, I don't know where to start with that. Fearful about something that's happened, perhaps. Well, do you know that there's a famous story in the Old Testament, isn't there, of David and Goliath. The Israelites looked at a man mountain that was Goliath and looked at him and said, but he's so big, how can we win? The shepherd boy David took one look at him, picked up a few stones and said, he's so big, how can I miss? Because he knew who God was. Thank you, J. John, for that one, by the way. And if you think the point of that story is that we've got to be like David, drumming up enough confidence to face the giant, you've got the story all wrong. That's what we're kind of told at Sunday school, isn't it? It's about David and having courage, but no, it's not. the story's not actually about that. The point of the story is this. Our Savior never misses. Our Savior never misses. When God purposes to save, he always, he always wins. If in these stories I'm talking about, we are the surprised Christians. Surely it can't be Peter at the door, knocking away. You know, servant girl, don't be silly. What are you talking about? He's in prison. But I've heard him. He's been knocking. He's alive. It's him. No, it can't be him. It's got to be an angel. 
a conversation that went backwards and forwards. That the Israelites in the Old Testament, cowering back in fear because a giant decides to take them on, be that giant, Goliath in the Old Testament or Herod in the New, what we need is not to try and drum up enough faith to be able to face it, to take our giants on. What we need is a savior, a champion, who's going to step forward and take on that person for us, that situation. To do the very thing that we are incapable of doing, not able to. To do the thing we wouldn't expect anyone to do in the circumstances, which is to save. Because the gospel is a gospel full of miracles. And it's in between that mysterious place between God's will on one hand and what he purposes to do and the prayers of God's people on the other hand, what we seek God and ask him to do with our whole hearts, that miracles do happen. They do happen because in Jesus we have the miracle maker by our side. And his miracles can be big or small. I remember a missionary in the church that I grew up in. Um, this was in the 1990s, I know, so young. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he used to go on missionary trips to Albania each year, visiting orphanages and, and telling, he, he was a storyteller. He told the most wonderful stories, illustrated stories, and shared the gospel with the kids, delivering age packages along the way and so on. And of course, being the 1990s, this was just after the collapse of the, the Soviet Union and communism and tensions were high. At this particular point, you could get stopped multiple times at checkpoints or, or by armed forces uh, at roadblocks. Missionaries were not usually looked very kindly upon. And there was this one time he took a trip with a, with a co-worker in their truck um, at a point where things were particularly not good, but he went anyway. The possibility that they would be stopped by military forces was very likely. But they decided, well, we'll pray about it and we'll go anyway. They trusted God and carried on. And, and as they got there um, and, and were traveling through the country, uh, a man on his own appeared on the side of the road, and he flagged them down. Uh, they, they quickly stopped because this man was a police officer, or, or a security agent anyway. Um, but rather than stopping them, he simply asked them for a lift. He said, can I, can I have a lift? Oddly, he didn't bat an eyelid about, about why they were do, what, what, what they were doing or why they were there. He didn't ask questions. He just climbed onto the truck and sat with them as they continued their journey. But with him sat there, of course, they were not stopped once. They were not stopped once, which was remarkable as they headed towards their destination. And just as they got near their destination, the man asked for the truck to stop. He climbed out, thanked them, I guess, and disappeared off into the night. They never saw him again. To this day, as far as I know anyway, the missionary still wonders if he was an angel. 
still wonders that. You know, Hebrews 13.2, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. It's, it's there in, in, in the book of Hebrews. And even if it weren't, the police officer security agent was an answer to their prayers. That God would look after them as they traveled to visit orphanages to tell people about Jesus. The police officer was the providence of God. And God's providence is where this encounter ends as a final word. The amazing happens. Peter escapes, meets with the fellow believers. They're astonished by what God has done. They can't believe it. The next we hear of him, in fact, is about two years later, because he probably goes into hiding, okay, uh, over, over in Antioch. The soldiers can't explain what's happened, and they can't find him. Uh, they, by Roman law, have to take the punishment Peter would have had, which is why that they are executed. Because by Roman law, they've lost the prisoner, and they have to take his fate. The great Herod Agrippa, the one who thought he was so mighty and powerful, able to do whatever he pleased, just a short time later, finds himself in front of a captive audience, all pomp and circumstance, full of himself, addressing the crowds, making promises of peace before the people. The crowd shouts out to him, this is the voice of God, not of a man. Herod being Herod accepts that accolade gladly. I mean, why would he not? The voice of God and not a man. And God strikes him down for his sin. The rather gruesome end to this tyrant, this enemy of God and his people, is that he was eaten by worms and died. Verified, in fact, by other historians. Um, Josephus, the Jewish Roman historian of the day, wrote that following this visit that he undertook, he contracted intestinal worms, and that was how he died just five days later. It is verified by him. Do you know, God is no man's fool, and he is to be feared. He is to be feared. But where does the passage end in verse 24? What happens as a result of all of this? But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. You can't hold the church down by trying to persecute them. You can't do it. In fact, in the many nations where the church is persecuted, often it bounces back with new growth. You can't keep the church down, and you certainly can't keep God down. The Word of God goes marching on. Persecution, miracle, surprise, judgment. What God has put in motion, He will come to pass. There's no one on this earth that can stand in the way of our great and glorious God. So can I encourage you this morning, whatever's going through your hearts and minds, wherever you feel you're at, and however you are feeling this morning, okay, let's pray big prayers. Let's pray those big prayers, not assuming of God and what he will do, 
but asking God to do what we cannot do. Because he will do everything he has purposed to do. Let's not be afraid to dream. And let's trust the gospel. Said it the last couple of weeks. Let's trust the gospel to do its work. To change lives because the God whose gospel it is, is a God who's in the changing lives business. He's a God of miracles. And finally, let us as his people be refreshed and renewed that he is ours and we are his. This is the God we trust. This is the God who does the unexplainable. This is the God who works in this world in ways we can't always see, we don't always understand, but whom we know we can trust in every circumstance. Be it you've got someone you need to share Jesus with. Be it there's some health crisis. Be it something bad has happened. Pray and see what God might do. And let's pray now that God would do all he would want to do among us in this place as we look to the weeks ahead. Lord, we are so thankful. We're so thankful for your word because it paints and brings to us the realities of who you are. We thank you that this is a, a book like no other for that very reason. It is your word, your words to us that tell us about you, tell us about Jesus, tell us about how you save us, and tells us what we are to do in response. And Lord, we pray this morning that as we see this miracle that you performed 2,000 years ago, of releasing Peter from a prison cell, which shouldn't have happened. He was caught up between guards, persecuted under pressure, and yet you made happen. We pray that that word would speak to us. We thank you for the witness of the church who went into prayer because they knew where their attention should be turned. We thank you, Lord God, that you worked and moved. We thank you, Lord God, that your gospel is a gospel full of miracles. And Father, for whatever we need this morning, for whatever it is in your purpose for us, whatever you have for us, whatever it is that you desire to do among us as we look to your leading, we pray, Father, would you help us to encounter you afresh, to look with fresh eyes on your purposes, to look with new confidence on your gospel and your words, to look outwards from this place to people who need to hear of you, 
And Lord, may we then walk in those purposes together for you and your glory. Encourage us, Lord, I pray. Help us, Lord, to have the confidence we need to serve you well. And in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.